many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come on in, come on in, Z-Pack. This is Winnie. Oh, she's a whippet, right? She's a whippet. Winnie the whippet. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. The most beautiful You are so cute. Saved Europe. You Saved Europe. Saved Europe. Saved the world. Saved my heart, Pete Poulos, because she's so beautiful. Guys, welcome. It's your boy Z-Dog MD, and this is Dr. Peter Poulos, Pete to his homies. He is clinical associate professor of radiology at Stanford. Been on the show before. Yes. Thank and you. Thank whoa, you for me. darling. Right, bye, Winnie. Darling, it's really nice go having you. We're going to go bye bye. Maybe we should, yes. Oh, okay. you are so sweet. This is a whippet. They are like faster than the wind. That was better in theory. Than in better in theory than in practice, but in practice, also pretty oh. awesome. Oh, my God. Saudi, welcome right. back to the show, brother. Thanks, Ubin. Man, so y'all remember Pete, Dr. Poulos, from the last show we did two years ago now in this very backyard where we talked about his uh, being a, a, a gastroenterology fellow at UCSF having a freak accident on a bicycle in San Francisco resulting in a crazy story, which I'll link to in the show notes for this later, um, that left him a C3-4 quadriplegic his long recovery and the struggles that he's had and the successes that he's had that, that were really inspiring. When we did the video, so many people like messaged me. They were like, dude, can you hook me up with Pete? Because I also struggle with disabilities or I have chronic illness or I have a lot of things going on that I think um, he would have insight on. And since that show, you have undertaken a new sort of uh, uh, project that I think is gonna help a lot of people with disabilities. Fill me in on all this, Pete. Welcome back to the show, brother. A lot's going on. A lot new here. Uh, yeah, so I helped start a group called the Stanford Medicine Abilities Coalition. SMAC for short. SMAC! SmackDown. Uh, came out of the Faculty Senate Subcommittee on Diversity, interestingly enough, out of the realization that disability isn't well represented in the overall diversity movement. Uh, and so I, uh, Iris Gibbs was our subcommittee chair and Phil Harder and... Oh, I know Phil. Yeah. yeah. ER doc. ER yeah. Doc, yeah. Great. They, we had our first meeting and we were pitching ideas for a project for the year. And I said, how about disability? And, uh, they loved it and started a group called SMAC, like I said, and, uh, we are growing quickly right now. And Laura King already says, look, I'm a tube-fed gastroparesis sufferer. Fantastic episode. 
So there is something about having chronic illness, having some form of disability that does not historically, has not historically meshed with healthcare practice. And whether it's access issues, whether it's discrimination, whether it's just having the tools and the resources to succeed when you have particular needs that say somebody who's fully able to do this stuff may not necessarily have, although maybe even could benefit from. Uh, what have the struggles been for you and how did it kind of prompt you to start this organization? Well, you know, I've been at Stanford now on the faculty for 10 years. Nerd. Yes, nerd is right. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, I've, I'm just now getting around to the point where I feel like I have the bandwidth to like be able to reach out in a meaningful way to other people en masse. I mean, it's been, like you said, a struggle. Right, there was having to do another residency again. There was a second fellowship. There's been like just the struggle of the day-to-day -day being on the faculty, helping out as an associate program director with the residency. And now I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a place where I feel like I'm ready to build something and to help others. You know, and let me, let me fill in some of those blanks for people who don't remember the last show or didn't see the last show. So. Pete was a GI fellow, had done an internal medicine residency, was a GI fellow at UCSF when he had his accident and realized that probably the best fit moving forward for what uh, was a good training option for him was radiology. Rematches in radiology does a whole second radiology fellowship and a body, a, a imaging, body fellowship. imaging fellowship. Yeah. So radiology residency and body imaging fellowship. And they're like, uh, you know, he's done more than most of us who haven't had a significant disability uh, have been able to do. And so now you're saying you're able to start to catch up and saying Maslow's hierarchy, we we're talking about this earlier, yeah. is starting to be fulfilled. Like, okay, safety, security, food, connection. Now wine. it's like wine, yeah. which by the way, I'm drinking. Uh, not, me. not, no, Zubin. just me. Let's see my teeth, they're kind of purple. And we had a barbecue and we're like, we gotta do this show because people need to know about what he's doing. So now you're at this sort of, how do you find purpose and meaning in the adversity that you face and help other people to succeed because you've had the path. You've actually shown that it's doable. I mean, Pete, look guys, like I won't say this to his face because you know, that would be I'm weird. looking away. Look away. This dude's an inspiration, you guys. Mm -hmm. Like, like I could not the have done- The I word. The I word. I'm gonna use the I word about Pete. And so, we're hoping now with the work he's doing, we can bring a little coalition of people together that can help people with significant uh, disabilities, chronic disease actually succeed in healthcare. Because you know what? We probably need you more than the average person because you have a perspective on adversity and injury and struggling with health issues and interfacing with the healthcare system as a patient that other people don't have. We all do. And there are so many people out there in the medical field who uh, who can contribute so much to society and work so much more effectively if they were just given the chance. Mm. I mean, who better to understand our patients than people who have had to deal with a disability or a chronic illness, right? It's really like a, I'm not talking about just making accommodations for people who are disabled who happen to be in the medical field. I'm talking about a total uh, change of mindset into like actively seeking out people with disabilities and chronic illness who know better than anyone else how to treat our patients and how to care for them. Not just disabled patients, but underrepresented patients of every kind. 
Well, so, okay, I'll play devil's advocate. I'll play the resident who has to now cover an extra shift because of the accommodations required because there's easily more easily f uh, fatigued or there's other accommodations that need to happen in order to uh, uh, have somebody with a significant disability performing medicine. And it used to be in the old days, you just didn't even do it. Someone who's, who is hard of hearing or hearing disabled, you know, you can't be a doctor because you can't use a stethoscope. And now we have hospitalists who are profoundly deaf and are able to do it. We have uh, people like yourself who are C3, 4 quadriplegics who are able to practice medicine, radiology at a, at the highest academic levels, at the most elite, elite uh, facilities and organizations in the country. But how do you respond to people who say, well, this is just gonna be more work for the quote unquote able-bodied? Yeah, it might be. It might be more work for the able-bodied, but in the end, it's better. It's better for the institution and it's better for our patients. Mm. Mm. It's just better. I mean, people with disabilities bring something to the table that those who haven't dealt with uh, hardship or disability or struggle um, that they may not understand quite as well. Mm. And, you know, I dealt with this in my own residency, right? So I couldn't take night float. Granted, I will say that I was an extra resident in my class. Right, they, so they added you on. They as added a, me yeah. on because somebody quit out of the third year class and they wanted to add on a first year instead of taking a transfer. So I was an extra resident, mm -hmm. but you know, the people in my class respected the fact that I did take call every week. I worked every Wednesday, five to ten p.m. They would do you know weeks at a time of night float from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. But on their peat nights, as they used to call them on Wednesdays, I would work their early shift and they would hang out in the call room and then not come to work basically until it was 10 o'clock. Mm. And, you know, I think that um, we, we need to combat stigma. Uh, we, we need to combat um, the stigma that comes with being disabled because like it or not, people in medicine, have been more ableist in the past have looked at disability through a negative lens and that bleeds over and translates into our interactions with patients mm. and i remember what it was like before i got hurt i didn't i just didn't get it and i'm not saying i may have been like you know a little needed a little re remediation mm. myself mm. in this fact maybe not everybody but I certainly feel now that I have maybe more to offer my patients than I did before. Although now I'm in radiology, so it doesn't matter quite as much. Ah, uh, you know, you know, I, my wife will argue. Well, now you actually affect patient care more than a lot of people. I think. I think. See, some stuff you said there that was interesting to me is this idea that uh, I think many of us actually are a little bit ableist. I, I've actually been accused of it in statements and unconscious statements that I've said even on the show. People say, you know, what you just said is very ableist. You're saying, you know, this, and you're kind of normalizing. Uh, you, you, you're subtly saying that people with disabilities are actually not able to deliver this amazing care. And it, it actually takes people to be woke, woken up because obviously society in, in, in at baseline kind of normalizes whatever normal ability is. And so someone like yourself who has to be accommodated on some level, but actually excels on other levels. Like, first of all, understanding what it's like. Like, I imagine you're, you know, you do body CT, body radiology. Like, you, you know, you have a perspective on injury and trauma and uh, also being present and also 
having a second chance to do what you're passionate about that other people don't have that would bring a real power to it. And I think when we, the, the, other, the other downside I think with marginalizing people with disabilities is you're taking a huge talent pool out of the equation. Yeah. And these are people that are really good at what they do and you're saying, no, you can't do it because X, Y, and Z. And I think the other thing you said that I thought was interesting is like, yeah, sometimes you do have to accommodate and there will have to be some sacrifice on other people's part. And that's actually, not only is it okay, it's actually part of what we do as healthcare providers to actually provide the best care for our patients. I mean, we take call, we do these things. We make these calculations all the time. All day. What's better for society, what's better for our population, right? Absolutely. So why can't we do the same thing? Now, the question is, you started this organization and it's really snowballed, but obviously you saw a need, right? So there were obstructions to people with disabilities getting training, getting, getting the ability to care for people in the hospital. Well, what yeah. did you see with that? Well, you know, I will say, first of all, that, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for the people that have made my life easier along the way. I would say that, you know, Stanford has been great to me. I've gotten a lot of support from Jeffrey, my division chief, and Sam Gambier, my chairman, and all of my colleagues. I have support from the hospital volunteer office. Oh. I have personal assistants who help me throughout the day. It takes a lot, okay, for me to be able to get to do what I do. And it works so well that maybe that was also part of the reason that I didn't get into this uh, earlier. earlier. But I mean, it started with myself. I mean, there were, I went on interviews for radiology and there were program directors who told me, I just don't see how this is gonna work. You know, like I see my residents, they're moving around, they're hanging films, they're so busy and I can't picture you doing that. You know, I just think it's gonna be too hard for you. And Stanford took a different approach, thankfully. Uh, they were able to see past the disability. They said, look, you have this prior training in internal medicine and some training in GI. Uh, this disability brings a different perspective to things and we will make it work. Mm. We'll figure it out, you know? And uh, where some people just saw a liability, Stanford saw a possibility. Mm. And so, and along the way, I've met people who just keep hitting brick walls uh, where there should be doors. Like, uh, I mean, do you, I can answer your question in more detail if you like about yeah. some people that I've met along the way. Yeah, because they, these people have been messaging me since our last show and including some comments right now. What about mental health? What about chronic Absolutely. disease like fibromyalgia, other things yes. like that? Yeah, so, so tell me some stories. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna say, well, first of all, SMAC is not about just motor and sensory disabilities. It's also about psychological learning, chronic illness, basically anything that makes it difficult to do our jobs. We're taking a very expansive definition of the role of disability. This isn't just folks in, in wheelchairs. And there are a lot of invisible disabilities out there. We have a lot of members in our organization who looking at them, you wouldn't know of the struggles that they grow through. You know, these individuals, and that, that is tough, right? That, it's a lot easier for me to come with a wheelchair and crutches and ask for an accommodation. And for somebody who looks normal, looks healthy and they're young and they're saying, I can't do this or that, I need help with this or that. And it's met with a lot of skepticism, you know? Even you, because people are talking about, tell Pete about the Segway. It's like, Pete knows about the Segway. Pete's been using yeah. the Segway. 
And he's been actually, he, one of the great stories he told last time was about how people will come up to him and be like, you're a douchebag for rolling around the hospital in that Segway because he doesn't look like a C3-4 quadriplegic. And people think he's just rolling around on the thing, right? I've met people all over the country, like, well, this is a big thing that's going on right now with service animals right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, and the, and the controversy, but... Uh, you know, some veterans and other people with PTSD has, have service dogs that help them with their anxiety and with their psychological disabilities. And I hear a story about these people being like uh, confronted, like, you don't look blind. Why do you have a dog? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, very insensitive things like, uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. We did a Doc Vader about this where he was complaining about n- uh, service animals that are not for those purposes. Yeah. So, you know, you, yeah, you have the VA or the veterans and, and so on. And then you have, like, Buffy who just wants to bring her dog on the plane. Yeah, well, and, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a whole other thing. But, you know... There's always going to be abuse, I think, of a system that's meant to help people. Mm. And just because there are some cases of abuse doesn't mean that you throw out the whole accommodation for people who need them. Mm. That doesn't bother me if like, one person wants to bring her dog into a restaurant and she doesn't have a certificate or maybe it's just her pet and not her comfort dog. Mm. If there's a whole lot of other people out there who need the dog who get to have access. Lisa Hollenbeck says, how about we assume the best about people? Exactly. Assume the best. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, uh, there was a, there was a person that I, that I talked to a few years ago who had some autonomic issues. Okay. Invisible on it. It was, it was dizziness. It was low blood pressure, orthostatic hypotension. Like a POTS type of syndrome, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Something like that ended up, uh, being very difficult to diagnose, kept him out of school for over a year. But when he was finally diagnosed, put on a medication regimen and feeling back uh, strong enough to go back to school, they wouldn't let him back. Why? They wanted, he he put together a packet, you know, here's why, uh, here's here's the sign off from my doctor that I'm ready to go back. And with this particular regimen, um, you know, I'm cleared for service um but they wanted more proof they wanted more recent proof they wanted me to undergo more testing and after a while it just became clear to him that they didn't want him back Mm. because he was asking for things Mm. he was asking uh, on his surgical rotations if they were on if they're rounding for a long time if he could like sit down uh, when they were stopped talking about a patient outside the room Mm. Or if he were like, um, like standing in there for surgery with retractors for, I don't know, an hour or two hours, that there might be a maximum amount of time that he would do that and somebody else would come and relieve him because mm. of his fatigue. Mm. And these things were just unacceptable. And so uh, he reached out to me about this and we strategized about ways to get him uh, back in the clinic. But this is just one of many stories I've heard about people being treated unfairly because of their disability or chronic illness. And you know, it's, it's so tough because that's a horrible story. And yet then you hear about like, you know, these Laughlin women and, and these guys who are cheating, getting their kids into college by saying they had learning disabilities and needed extra time on the test and so on. So people are primed to disbelieve people who look like they're okay. 
uh, and then claim a disability. And so how do you think we overcome that? Do you just assume the best about people? Do you take that collateral damage? What, what, what's Smack's approach? And by the way, there's a link in the description of this video to the Facebook site where you have your thing and we'll put in Instagram and the other links as well. So if you have a disability, you're struggling with a chronic illness, you can definitely go to those Facebook pages. He, we, we really wanna grow this coalition to create a good body of support for this. Medical students, and I think most people in general, don't want to stick out from the bunch. I mean, nobody wants to go to their dean of students. Okay, maybe there's some abuse, fine, whatever. But most people do not want to go to their dean of students, single themselves out as having a learning disability to ask for more time on a test if they don't really need it. Mm. Nobody wants their classmates to think that they're weak, you know, so to speak. Everyone in medicine wants to play strong and independent. And I mean, you know the game, right? Um, so I just don't think that there are many people out there who are asking for accommodations that they don't need. Mm -hmm. I think that game, that same culture that you're talking about, where people want to look strong and there's a suck it up thing, is part of maybe the problem where you know, you had a bunch of surgeons on rounds and they're like, wait, this guy needs what? He can't hold a retractor for eight hours? Why? Oh, because he has, you know, postural, you know, orthostatic hypotension or autonomic problems. Like, I don't see it. Like, suck it up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's a piece of it. Right? Yeah, I mean, there yeah. are, like, cultural problems that are mm -hmm. wrong with medicine, you know. And I owe a lot of my insight into this to Lisa Meeks from Michigan and Neera Jane from the University of Auckland, who have been, like, my mentors and teachers in this regard. Mm -hmm. they, they published a great report from the AAMC um, and about diversity and inclusion in medical education. They have a, a coalition called the Coalition for Disability Access and Health Science Education. Mm. And um, I actually met them this past uh, April in Washington, DC. Their next conference is gonna be in uh, Santa Rosa in April, just like as a plug. But, you know, they identify barriers as structural barriers and cultural barriers, okay? And the cultural barriers to uh, being accepted in medicine are very complicated, right? Because they're not just in medicine, they're in society, they're in everything. And it's about like breaking down the, that cultural framework and rebuilding it, right? And this benefits everybody, not just people with disabilities, right? This is about wellness, this is about diversity, about openness, about just being able to ask for help. And it's something that's been sorely lacking in medicine for a long time. But so, for example, for, for our group talking about structural, or I mean, talking about cultural things, we want to you know, evaluate not just our physical space for accessibility, but also you know, our policies and procedures the way that we are uh, approaching this issue. We want to um, educate people about uh, their colleagues with disabilities and about students with disabilities so they really understand like, that this is a real issue. Mm. And we need to promote disability as a part of diversity because it is, it's a huge part of diversity. You know, about 20% by some accountings of the US population has some form of disability. It's very upper, underrepresented in medicine. 
2.7%, really? That's 4.5% really? according to more recent studies. That doesn't yeah. surprise me actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the, uh, the, the assumption is there that you need to be superhuman just to get through it and right. that any kind of disability would be a hindrance. Even when I was training, it was like, well, you can't, again, you can't be hard of hearing. Yeah, well, this is like it's laid out in a lot of uh, the policies and procedures or what we call technical standards in medical schools. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this is like codified, you know, and I don't know the exact words, but, you know, you have to be able to save somebody's life basically or do CPR, provide life-saving activity, uh, provide life-saving treatment, etc., which is great if you can, but Mm. not totally necessary and certainly out of step with the possibilities of 21st century medicine right and we want to propose well not only at stanford but at other places we take a look at these technical standards and say you know how can we open these up to everyone because there are a lot of fields that um, where people don't need to be superman to practice and you know people even healthcare providers should be able to ask for help Le- uh, leilani baka so Pete, yeah. Pete is actually remarkable because he has had good practice saying, you know what, can you give me that? Can you, can you bring that closer to me? Can you go ahead and slide that over here? Um, and the, the people who work with him and who know him and who are friends with him, this is just a natural way of being in the world, right? But for so many, it's such a strange stigma, right? You, so you're, you're, you're new and you're like, how do I ask for help? And in healthcare, it's all about the suck it up culture and that kind of thing yeah. and you know the thing is it's not like you were so even before all this started you're a super gunner dude like i mean <laughs> ucsf yeah. gi fellowship closet gunner closet gunner. oh no yeah closet right gunner. no right because the i got open the closet gun- gunner award for my class in medical school dude that get you get congrats yeah. from me Thank people you. people accused me too of being a closet gunner to this day i'm in denial about it i'm like no i can't be i was a total slacker i sat in the back but apparently there was something there it's an entity. It is an entity. Yeah, the closet gunner. So for those who don't know, a gunner, it's a kind of a UCSF West Coast slang, isn't it? I don't know that they use it as much on the oh, East Coast. Oh, we said it in Texas. Well, Did I you? Don't know. Yeah, but I don't know about that East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to ask Margaret. I would, I, yeah, but she trained at Stanford and gunner was a thing too. And so a gunner is someone who's like just hardcore, like studies, crushes the competition, single-minded in their pursuit of whatever super specialty they want, right? And a closet gunner is someone who pretends they don't care that they're chill but on chill. on the back end they're like at home with a microscope like busting their ass and secretly you know competing and so uh, both pete and i were accused of being uh, closet gunners you actually won the award that's to be commendable yeah that's thank commendable. you thank yeah. you congratulations Class so, of 99 hell yeah me too <laughs> to be but to be the closet gunner and then have to shift into okay now i need to ask for help I need to have, I need accommodations, yeah. but you're not going to give up. You're going to actually not only do what it is you do, but do it at the highest level, not only in the country, but we're in America. And so the academic facilities here, they're some of the best in the world. So he's a shining example of what you can do. And his injury is not mild. You guys, this is a severe, we talked about it in the last show. I'll link to it. So if Pete can do it, um, I think it's inspiring for others, and this SMAC organization is going to help kind of set the groundwork for, again, helping to provide accommodation so we can have this diversity that helps all of us, not only colleagues, but also patients, right? It, it's been shown, like, 
not necessarily with disability per se, uh, and I'm not like a, an expert on all the disability research. I'll just share that mm. uh, right up front. But, you know, when patients are taken care of by people who look like them or they can mm. identify with, there tend to be better outcomes. When, when their doctors understand their patients, there tend to be better outcomes. So this is like, this has been studies and this has been studied and it's been shown to be important, right? Mm. I mean, if we're to ever reach out and take care of everyone, this is something that we need to deal with. And you know, so the comments, I mean, there's so many good comments, dude. Like, uh, Sam Neary says, thank you. I'm an ED nurse with multiple sclerosis. I love my vocation. I'm currently asymptomatic, but I won't always be this way. I just love being with patients and students of our craft. I can do this. Yeah. What would you say to Sam? I say you can do this. And, you know, well, depending on her course of MS, it may be that for periods in her life, maybe weeks, maybe months, mm. she may not be able to do her job exactly like she does it now. But hopefully, you know, her work environment could alter the nature of her work as time goes on. And maybe when she's having flares or not doing as well, they could assign her lighter duty or more, more administrative more administrative, or more teaching. And when she's feeling better or back to it, she they can give her an opportunity to do what she wants. But that, to have people with disabilities in your department is a benefit to those people without disabilities because that having mm. peers who share who have disabilities mm. improves the people around them like mm. you knowing me improves you i mean i know you knew that i knew this already <laughs> actually you know all joking aside it does i'm a better person for knowing people because i have better understanding and, and he's taught me a lot about stuff and i'm supposed to know this stuff technically as a doctor but he'll say things. We don't things, get taught it. No, we don't get we taught don't get stuff. Ta I didn't know anything. Exactly. Like he, in you know, fact, if there was anything, I was taught negative things. Right. Right. Either right. overtly or not overtly. I mean, my biggest fear growing up, or growing up, after I was injured, that I would end up like this particular patient that I took care of in San Francisco, uh, uh. who was all alone, you know, begging for pain meds. Mm. Stayed for a year in the hospital because they couldn't find placement for him. Mm. At a at a an appropriate facility, that's you know, your model. That I mean, know. that's that's in your mind. That's your mental model of what a disability is, that. right? Yeah. We've all taken and care I'm of. And I'm still I I'm still insecure. You asked like how it's different now. It's not different now. It's it's still hard. Mm. It's still hard to ask for help. And I've I'm established. You know, I've been in my job for ten years. Imagine how it is for a medical student or a resident to go to their dean of students or their program director and be like i need help and um mm. you know it's so intimidating and we need to make it easy for them right so like how do we make it better for students and residents right what sort of like structural things can we do to make it better for them and this is what you're doing now that's what i think is so great well it's part yeah. of what we're, we're yeah. building right now but you know we want to we want disability service providers at Stanford who like, are very familiar with accommodations, who are familiar with medical education, and who know what to do if a given student or resident or even faculty member needs help. These what to do uh, or where to go to ask for accommodation should be common knowledge, should be uh, well posted, well advertised, so people know if something 
is the matter. Here's who I go to. I have a point person, right? Mm. And we need to work on making everything uh, accessible for people, like uh, create accessible environments for those people who need it now, but also an accessible an atmosphere of acceptance so that if people become injured or sick that they're not afraid to ask for help and this all feeds into like a lot of people are talking about wellness these days right it's all about wellness well this is like central mm. uh, to wellness right just the ability to or the comfort in asking for help that's what it boils down to right uh, whatever that- you're talking about you talk about burnout i know you talk about these issues in, in your show you know, you're talking about burnout or you're talking about having an ulcerative colitis flare or MS or whatever. It's got to be okay to ask for help. You know, I, I, the only thing I would add to that from my limited understanding of this stuff, and it's limited and I've learned a lot from you, is all the data seems to suggest that in, <laughs> when one becomes disabled or has an injury or something happens... Initially, happiness and life satisfaction goes down yeah. precipitously. A- and then very rapidly, it rises to yeah. back to baseline levels. Now, people are like, well, how you went from walking and riding your bike and doing all this to you know, having to use a Segway and asking for help and drinking wine with a straw and different things like that that are accommodations that you have to make. To but good wine with a straw, but not just any wine. I'm going to show them this wine because they just need to We're doing a plug here. This is an amazing wine that we had. It's a Turnbull. And uh, again, what it shows is that life comes back with a vengeance. You know, you're married. You have an amazing career. You still struggle, but you do it in a way that provides meaning. And we ought to be celebrating that. We ought to be encouraging that. We ought to be keeping that as part of the diversity of the human experience, especially in healthcare, where we affect people when they're at their most vulnerable. And if we're the vic- if we're affected by stigma, we pass that on to our patients. And here's a comment, Kristen Haber, I'm an ER physician with post-concussive issues and PTSD. And as a patient, I've been horrified by the treatment I've received by other MDs as if I'm making everything up. Yeah, I, I can empathize. That's rough. It's rough. And, yeah, and, and that's, that's an invisible disability, right? People just don't know what to do with that. And many people have mentioned mental illness yeah. as a disability. And I think we have to include that 100%. Well, there's overlap, right? This is like it's, people with chronic illness or disability are not one thing. They're, they can also be minorities, underrepresented. They could be LGBT. They could be first generation. They could have like any type of other issues. Mm. Mm. And everyone has issues. And Nancy Cardoza... Why can't we just take people at their word? Oh, heaven forbid. And Nancy Cardoza has one potential reason. It's so much more of a business than anything now. We can be replaced and we know it, so we suck it up. Is that a piece of it? Hmm. I'll keep scrolling through comments while we think (laughs) about that one. Because that's... I don't... I don't know. Mm. I don't think that any one of us are particularly easy to replace Mm. today. I mean, everybody is special and brings something to the conversation. I don't think anybody is easily replaced. Look, you know, there there are complicating issues, right? It's not like everybody with a disability is also like a great employee. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Just yeah. because you have a disability doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you're, you're magically angel, immune right? from right you being know? an asshole. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Like I can definitely be an a hole when I want to. Good for you. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So there's no angelic presence that's bestowed upon you. Well, being an a hole was a pre-existing condition. For that's you. right. Yeah. Exactly. That's so. right. So we want to raise awareness. Like you know, disability is a part of diversity, and if a university is going to focus on diversity, they need to include disability in that. Right. And we want to fight for accessibility for everyone. And, and this is the kicker, right? It's not about meeting the standard of the ADA, mm. which is sort of like the lowest, uh, the lowest common denominator, right? Is it? Huh? Like the letter of the law. We want to go above and beyond that re- uh, required by law. We want to be proactive about this rather than reactive. We don't want to say, oh, this is something that we have to deal with. How are we going to deal, deal with it? We want to say, like, let's go out there and find people mm. who are special or different and who have something to add, and let's find them. You know? Man, that that's pretty... It's a total mindset switch. It's a mindset switch, yeah. And it's absolutely true because I think without you, Stanford would be the lesser for it. I mean, my wife's a radiologist at Stanford, and you and her are friends, and uh, her life would be quite a bit less enriched without having you as a colleague, and you almost wouldn't have been there if you didn't have the help if you also didn't have your own personality which is to go and make it happen even push through all the insecurity and the and the struggle of it right because it's hard man what you've done like i don't think i i don't know that i could do it i don't have the fortitude i would have to go through that process to test whether i have the fortitude to do it um so you know i mean it's really tough Uh, let me see here i was inspired to see intern with a foot drop doing wards jobs on call hassan moose yeah, you know, uh, Sherry Blowett, who's uh, a PM&R physician at Harvard, wrote a great article in the New York Times about being a physician and a patient, you know, and talking about the different reactions that people have. I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't know if that person was a physician or a patient. Oh, or, or both. don't know. But, yeah. Oh, that's but, a doc, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think that people have varying responses when they see me I do talk to patients occasionally, you know, and uh, there are different reactions when I walk in with my crutch and give them my uh, awkward handshake. Mm. But for the most part, when I sit down and I look at them in the eye, there is like a connection there that wasn't there before. Mm. It's like an understanding. Mm. I think most patients appreciate it that their doctor has a vulnerability or mm. some sort of soft spot that they can identify that it isn't. And there's nothing wrong with being like able-bodied and healthy and great, you know, but it's just a bit of a different experience. Some people are put off and like, whoa, you're my doctor. Like, what's that about? Mm-hmm. But most, peop- most people, I think, are in some way comforted or um, inspired or relieved by that sort of interaction. Sherry summed it up really well in her article. Wow. You know, and it may- I don't know why this popped in my head thinking about this, but do you remember the character Timmy on South Park? Yeah. Yeah, so what? what is Timmy? For those who don't remember, he was a disabled character on South Park. And it's weird because half the time I watched him, I thought, you know, they're really actually going a long way to making Timmy a human being that you really can connect with because of his how special he is. And then half the time it's like, oh my God, what? <laughs> I mean, what, what was your take on Timmy overall? 
It's a strange question, I know, but it just popped question. in my I'm head. I'm not a yeah. South Park expert. Right, but, but you play one on TV. My, my, right. Yeah, my first instinct was to laugh at Timmy. People used to make fun of me because Timmy also has forearm crutches, and right. as do I. Right, right, right. I don't have uh, the speech problems that right. Timmy has. Right, But I feel like uh, just having somebody in that show that was not like a... A complete butt of everybody's jokes, but part of the conversation was was good. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was my feeling that at least there's somebody there. And this is like taking, uh, this is gaining traction in Hollywood and other places. Like the idea of incorporating disabled people and disabled actors into television shows, integrating them into certain families and, and normalizing them. I think people are realizing that that's important. Mm. So I think the culture is starting to shift. I, th I, I think, think that so. was, was an early iteration of that, believe it or not. South Park has always pushed the boundary of that. You know, and, yeah. and it's funny, some people get very offended, but actually I find that to be a weird kind of progress on many issues. They've talked about a lot of different things. Um, let's see, let's see. <laughs> Remember his rideshare business episode. I didn't see that one, Rachel. I'm not a South Park no. expert like, uh, like Dr. Poulos um, is also not. Janet Valerie says, yes, it's so important to be humanized as doctors. Relatability is more important now than ever. Now, you told a story in the last show where you'd come back after all this rehab and had, I think, come in, was it in a wheelchair or in a scooter back to the hospital? And one of your attendings saw you and burst into tears when they yeah. saw you. And, you know, that's the exact, I mean, you have to respect that that was their reaction. Right? Yeah. But it's kind of like, wow, like, we have a long way to go before people understand what this is, you know? And I, yeah, I think, yeah. But I understand. That. You understood it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But just the contrast, because I was such a physical presence mm. before. Mm. And to see me in the wheelchair, I think, was just a startling juxtaposition for him. So that reaction for you was actually felt correct and natural for that person? Yeah, you know, I, okay, I mean, so part of like I'm not that involved in disability organizations that well before now mm. I wasn't I there's a certain part of disability that still makes me sad mm. right sometimes I'm sad for myself mm. like it's not like I'm beyond like crying about my injury mm. it like a thing sucks mm. right there's a lot of things that I want to do that I can't do and that hasn't gone away mm. right and it's not and, and so sometimes when I see and maybe this isn't the right reaction sometimes I see people in wheelchairs or struggling or with other disabilities and it makes me sad and um, you know I've had to step out of meetings sometimes um, because I've been overcome with emotion at the sadness I, that I perceive in um, a situation. A life just isn't fair. Like, I wish that people didn't have to suffer mm. in these ways. So I don't know. I mean, for me, it's just like sometimes I feel sorry for myself. Sometimes I feel sorry for other people. Those are natural emotions, but they don't navigate what we do at an institutional level an organizational level you mm. know we and I don't think it changes like our humanity because we all know that you know being 
there was an article recently about like what is being young mm-hmm. right like a lightness of being an ease of being just an easiness right and like when people don't have that when they miss out on that it is sad mm. you know it's sad that we have to age and get old and die it's sad that some people are injured when they're 30 years old because of a stupid bike accident or that somebody got ran over by a tractor when they were a baby or that somebody got some shitty autoimmune disease mm. you know it's just i don't know how you get around the sad factor of it i mean we're human beings we're human yeah beings. you know i mean i think what would the buddha say he would say it's impermanence and we shouldn't cling to these things but we do because we're humans and uh, everything's impermanent what you have now is gone tomorrow nothing nothing lasts nothing is permanent and i think the infusion of sadness is a natural counterpoint to also the joy like right before we did the show you were talking about your trip to france and seeing the world cup and going up into the alps and i was like damn homie you're a baller I want to do those things like a single. I don't uh, have children. Well, lucky, but but still, I mean, I think again, it coexists the sadness in all of us. I mean, we all have our uh, our things where we're like, if I had just this and this and this, and with some, it's just more acute. So I think we're talking about a universal human condition, which brings us back to why are we not embracing diversity of ability in healthcare and providing support for it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I'm in the Alps, you know, I'm complaining to Diana because there's all these guys like climbing the mountain ah. with their ice uh, ice picks and, mm-hmm. and crampons and we're taking the elevator up, you know, it's like... I would choose whatever. the elevator myself, but you know, yeah. I'm a little, uh, I'm extreme disabled. So in other words, I just can't do anything extreme. <laughs> I'm too lazy. <laughs> I mean, this has been, it's been a great experience. We have tons of, like, help. We have enthusiastic people who are working on behalf of this team. We've, we were just for the medical school, and now um, Mary Stutz, who's the chief officer, Stanford has a new chief officer of inclusion, diversity, and health equity Mm. from the hospital. He started all of these employee resource groups for different uh, groups of people. There's, like, Latinx, and there's LGBTQ we have a disabled one, and she's uh, actually asked SMAC to serve as the umbrella organization for the hospital also. Oh, nice. So now the Stanford Medicine Abilities Coalition is covering all of Stanford Medicine, including the hospital, which goes like from Emeryville to San Jose and Livermore to Palo Alto. It's you know, a lot. We welcome anyone at those sites, you know, off campus to join us also. Um, you know... So we're expanding and uh, we feel like we're gaining a lot of momentum, but there's like so much to accomplish still. Mm. You know, we're hoping to collaborate with other groups too outside of Stanford. So Corey Poffenberger, who's one of our ER attendings, um, her husband looks at Facebook. Oh. And he's part of the Abilities uh, employee, resource, employee Resource Group there i hope that's okay that i said that Corey. so we're hoping to hook up with them i don't know if google or other of the tech companies in silicon valley have any employee resource groups devoted to abilities but we'd love to meet with them or if anybody it's i mean it doesn't have to be tech companies it could be anybody who wants to reach out to us 
And I think yes. it does. It takes a diversity of interdisciplinary stuff. There's one of the comments was like, hey, man, mechanical engineers have done more for the, uh, people with disabilities than doctors ever have. And, you know, so, I mean, again, whether that's true or not, it's saying that it takes all kinds of disciplines to actually uh, help make all this work. So I think the main call to action, because now let's see how long, let's see how long we've been going, because I don't want to, oh, 46 minutes. I think we got to give them a call to action, son, because we got to lay down the SMAC, which is the Stanford Medicine Abilities, Abilities Coalition. Coalition. SMAC. Which was almost SMAC. Oh. Uh, the Abilities Alliance. Oh, so. too many vowels. Too many vowels. Sell a vowel. Smack. Buy that C, because smack sounds so yes. much more dope. Oh. Smack. 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 Uh, the link is in the thing. I'm going to put more links to, like, Instagram and all the other jazz. You guys should yes. join up. It's There's power in numbers on this stuff. And I think we should all do our part to kind of understand that this is an important group of people within medicine that um, are our colleagues are our doctors, are our nurses, are our physical therapists, and uh, we can do a lot better to understand and decrease stigma. And I've learned a lot from actually knowing Pete and from understanding this, and I'm 70% less of an asshole. Uh, you know, the thing is less. about like people with disabilities is mm. that they're cool. I think that people with disabilities are super cool. I like people who have been through something and are not like living the picture perfect life. There's a don't give an F itis about it. Yes, a don't give an F itis, exactly. Which is the prerequisite for cool. You guys understand that? You're never cool until you no longer care about being cool. You're like, dude, I survived this. Exactly. I'm still doing this. F all this. That dude's cool. Or that chick's cool. You will never find like cooler people than at a disabilities event. Dude. Because these people have seen everything, done everything, dealt with everything, and they just don't give an F you know what? I anymore. Got, I, and it's fucking wonderful. I did this gig for Janssen Pharmaceuticals a few years ago, and the only reason I agreed to do it was it was a gig for healthcare bloggers with chronic disease. Okay. And Janssen was paying for them all to come out and hear a series of talks from like healthcare people. And I was asked to speak to try to inspire them about using social media. So I'm like, okay, I'll sell out to Big Pharma for this one because it's a good deal. And dude, I'm telling you, these bloggers with like, whether it was ulcerative colitis or, you know, uh, chronic fatigue or whatever their chronic disease was, they were the coolest mother flippers on the planet. And I was like, dude, these guys know how to party. So that's one thing, I think. Once we realize the cool factor, I think that actually goes a long way towards a and, lot of stuff. And we're accepting of all sorts of people, even people who are picture perfect. We accept those people, but anybody... <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't point at me, I'm a mess, people. Please. Picture perfect, accepting. Picture perfect, accepting. We want to welcome all people to our groups. If you care about like human equality, and accessibility and you care about diversity we want to have you involved with our group you it's know, not just about us when you bring when you bring up everyone you really do bring up everyone right i mean it's it sounds simple but it's true i'm a huge fan of equality of opportunity you can't guarantee equality of outcomes right like i can't Fine. say pete you're going to be uh, climbing the Alps with an ice pick. I can't say that, but I can say, Pete, you're going to have the oper- every opportunity to excel 
within uh, what you're capable of doing. I think that's what we ought to be really striving for. We don't have that. We don't even have that. No. You know, so if we, we need- can fix that. There's so much, our political climate is so charged right now, too. Mm, you can't even talk about this stuff. Right? No. You can't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, we're ta- always talking about, people are talking negatively about people who are taking unfairly. And I'm not going to get political about this whole thing, but again, we just need to trust each other to a certain level. I think know? assume the best and let assume people prove best. you wrong rather than you have to prove to me that you're a good person, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a starting component of all of it. Pete! Pulos back for number deuce. The next episode we do with Pete, if you're amenable, is going to be about. So can I tell him what it's going to be about? Yes. ICU psychosis. And this is really an important episode. Okay. It was bad. It was it bad. It was so bad. It was bad. I never thought it would happen to me, but it did. You guys. Should I tell them what happened? I think we have like to a little te- teaser. give him a teaser a and then we'll teaser. do the other episode on it because it's so crazy, you guys. And it could happen yeah. to anyone. Yeah. So Pete got admitted for sepsis. Sepsis. Because, you know, stuff happens. Mm, stuff happens. And lost his mind. And lost my mind. I was convinced they were putting a dossier of documents together to send to my boss to get me fired for Munchausen's syndrome i always knew you had munchausen's pete i'm just making it all i knew it it's all a farce so you guys were making light of it now but it was such an intense ask my wife it was bad should we ask your wife it took me a week to figure out that it wasn't real after i was discharged and guess what this can happen to your loved one it happens to our patients we see it all the time and until you experience and again now do you think pete does not have empathy for people with icu psychosis in a way that none of us have yes he does so sometimes going through the ordeal is all it takes any psychosis and yeah anything right even z-dog psychosis Mm -hmm. it's caused by just being bald and dope it'll be okay pete hold me i'm falling i will hold you (laughs) my brother so that stay tuned for the icu psychosis episode there's a lot more we're going to talk about with dr pete pulos check out the stanford medicine uh, abilities coalition Coalition. smack or smack we put a link in there stanford med ac it's our facebook page i do believe and instagram and YouTube and all of those Twitter, all those Twitter things, things and, yeah. you get a voice there you get resources there it's a thing and thanks again brother for being on the show thank you my brother and we're out peace oh. hey it's Dr. Z thanks for getting through the whole episode that's a huge accomplishment <laughs> and so at this point I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe it, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters. 
and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.